Hi, everyone, and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Bodrum-Milas, and I'm the editor here at Televisions. And joining me, as per usual, is my co-host and associate editor, Miss Annie Bondold. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Uh, I don't know. To be honest, I feel really, I feel weird. I'm kind of sad. Uh, for once, we're we're actually recording this episode in something like real time, which means uh, I have only been able to process the fact that Queen Elizabeth II passed away for about 24 hours now, and I kind of don't know what to do. I kind of don't know what to do with my feelings. Like it's weird trying to imagine a, a world where she's not in it. It's it's she's just been such a cultural touchstone, not just for. England and the United Kingdom, but for the whole world. I mean, I read a statistic yesterday that something like four out of five living human beings have been, you know, were born during her reign. So they've literally like never known anything but God save the queen as the theme song. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. uh, Hearing people sing God save the king has already. Oh my gosh. So weird. Um, so weird. The fact that everybody keeps calling him King Charles III is really weird, too, because for a really long time, there was this rumor that he wasn't going to go with Charles, that he was going to go with George or he was going to go with Philip or that he basically was not going to do Charles III. Oh, I have said for literally like my entire life that there's no way he was not going to be Charles III. And and honestly, like, I think once we got into the 21st century, that became a reality that he couldn't really change his name anymore. Well, I mean, at this point, I think it's personal. Like, I think he's like waited so long for this moment. I mean, the man is 73. He is now the oldest. Um, he's not the oldest monarch or anything, but he's the oldest Prince of Wales to become the monarch. Yes. And and at this point, I think I think he's just had to wait so long that that he's like, I'm not changing my name. I'm 73. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah. Uh. Honestly, like, I think the George thing was something that, like, had been sort of held over from my childhood. Like, I always sort of assumed that he would change it to George because my dad said so. And that was, like, in the 80s. <laughs> well, I mean, no offense to the current king, but Charles is not, like, a super great name in, <laughs> in regnal history. Right. True. Just, it's not, it's not great. And there was, like, a whole line of Georges before Elizabeth, like, George V, George VI, so... I mean, he would have been King George VII, I think. Yes, that's if he correct. had gone with George as his regnal name. But, um, yeah, Charles just does not have a great history as a name. Nope. In the UK. Nope. So, good luck there. At least he's not wearing a wig. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I was about to make a very mean joke about the receding um, Mountbatten <laughs> hairline, but I did not. Um, I will be, I will be <laughs> decorum today. Good job. Uh, I know a lot of us have a lot of complicated feelings about Charles, particularly those of us who are in our uh, age bracket who have very strong feelings about everything that went down with Diana. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, here we go. Yep. God save, God save the king. You know, and it's just, it's also weird because we will never have another queen in my lifetime, you know? Oh, 100% no, because it's it's William and George and that's, it's, it's like three generations of men. Yeah. If Charles lives, you know, for 20 more years, even if Charles lives for 20 more years after him is Will, and Will's got another 50 after that. So, yeah, um, it's just, it's a little odd. Um, feels like the patriarchy rewriting itself and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't feel I don't feel that um 
I don't feel that strongly about it. Although I am, uh, we we do stand the Princess Charlotte in my household, <laughs> but I would say I think it's really easy because all we've known is Queen Elizabeth. It's mm-hmm. it's really it's really easy to forget how many barriers that she broke mm-hmm. during her time on yep. the throne, how many firsts she accomplished, and how like. Rest in peace to a great lady who did a lot of stuff, and I am sorry that that she is no longer with us. And I hope her son can step up. I am. Um, the other thing that I keep thinking about is how history books are going to call this the second Elizabethan age, and I've I've been kind of obsessed with that for like a little for a while now. She really has. She has like put this in so many articles that I have nothing to do with it. And I'm like, I've literally never heard anyone say this, but you. But go off. Um, you know. I just try to think about how we talk about the first Elizabethan age and how, you know, and the Victorian age and how how much change like there was in their reigns because they were both pretty long lived as well. Sisters doing it for themselves. And, you know, how like right now, like I try to think like 1952 to 2022. How do you even connect those two? Oh, my gosh. I saw a tweet. One of the I was just I spent like all of all of yesterday just retweeting things about the queen and nasa tweeted something about how her reign predated spaceflight yep. and how she has seen like every step of humanity like leaving this planet yep. and that blew my mind yeah like how, how how do those even relate how do you even call this one era and then i thought to myself you know i'll bet there are people when like elizabeth the first died who would have been if they were the kind of people who thought about this sort of thing would have been like how do you you know how do you merge like 1450 with 1506 like you can't and so like i'm i'm literally looking at this going you know in 2525 this is all going to be considered one era and how like how how are people going to describe the second elizabethan era anyway it it, it's been it's been a thing that i can't stop thinking about (laughs) um so that's my weird brain (laughs) i'm just gonna miss her and her amazing hats and her corgis and her complete like i mean props to a lady who literally two days before she died is trying to ensure like a peaceful transfer of her government right seriously even if it's liz truss <laughs> i we're not going to talk about that we're going to talk about how her first her the one of the first speeches she ever gave was about how whether her life be short or long she was going to dedicate it to service and i think that is exactly what she did and you know, rest in peace, great lady. God yeah. save the king. I mean, honestly, like, there, it's not just the peaceful transfer of power. Like, the peaceful transfer of power at Parliament and then the peaceful transfer of power of the crown, like, within 72 hours of each other. That's so... Oh, my gosh. That first royal family tweet read of her to the king coming back to London. I was It's just punched me in the face. <laughs> like... <laughs> I was just not, I was not ready. I was not ready. I got emotional about it. Like, I was not prepared. Nope. I, I, I honestly didn't think I would cry. And then, like, the BBC started running, like, the the the, the little the little run thing that they had prepared, the little reel. And I burst into tears. And my mom even cried. And my mom is, like, not a royalist at all. And it's just, it's very, it was, it's weird, like, how many people, like, feel so much emotion about this. There's a phrase, I mean, I'm about to be like real dramatic here, but there's a Latin <laughs> phrase that they say when they chant with Pope's transfer power, it's sick transit, Gloria Mundi. And literally it means thus passes the glory of this world, but it's supposed to be about like the temporal nature of power and blah, blah, blah. But it feels like, like, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I should quote Latin in response to this. <laughs> like it feels like that kind of heaviness. And I know oh, no, that. Oh, I mean, it, 
like this is like people say you know the end of an era this is actually the end of an era <laughs> yeah it really is and i feel really i'm really happy that a friend of mine who was in london a few months ago brought me back like a platinum jubilee tea towel i'm gonna have to like frame that or something so um now that we've talked about a queen for 10 minutes do we want to talk about a queen for another like 30 minutes <laughs> yeah because it's time for me to shine um in a in a fall full of mysteries this is the one period drama i get to talk about and it is also in a piece of amazing kismet timing wise is about another queen who ruled for a long time technically she didn't really rule but she controlled and ran france for like 50 years so Give it up for Catherine de' Medici, the Serpent Queen. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know that much about like the de' Medici world. I know that there were de' Medici's who were friends with Leonardo da Vinci. I know that they were like seriously entwined with the church in in Italy. And I know, oh, yeah, several of them were popes. Um, and I know that 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 Catherine de' Medici basically was the french queen who sort of ruled um in soft power i guess is the best way to put it um but that's all i really know about this i don't you know this is one because i i because i came from my my british father was all about me knowing about royalty in the uk so i knew i knew that history i've never really known the french history or any of that other than this is about timed with mary queen of scots um, yeah, it's really funny when you think about the fact that a lot of these really big players sort of occupied the stage at the same time, mm-hmm. because normally we just tell stories about Tudor England and stuff like that. But that is essentially like um, the end of Henry's Henry VIII's reign and Elizabeth's reign. Well, no, not the end of Henry. I'm getting the math wrong here. But a lot of the stuff was happening at the same time. Pope Clement VII, who is uh, Catherine's grandfather, is the same pope that denied... Henry's petition to divorce Catherine of Aragon. So you're telling uh, me that Charles Dance needs to play like a pope in a Henry VIII thing to, to make this like a... I think like he a... also might get kidnapped by the Holy Roman Emperor. I don't really remember. But, um, I mean, Mary's Queen of Scots is literally Catherine de' Medici's daughter-in-law um, before she goes back to Scotland. It's Everything is very... I don't want to say incestuous because none of these people are like super related, but it's, it's incestuous in the ways that all these sort of stories of power touch each other Mm. and um catherine is remarkable because she's not she's not french she's italian but she married a second son who ultimately became king she had 10 kids i want to say seven of them lived to adulthood um she had three sons who were kings of england she outlived two of them and almost outlived the third who died a few months after she did i think um she's very like what i think is really interesting about the serpent queen is that oh, a lot of things which i'll get to but i think it's one of the first times we've really tried to do a show about a woman who is not really remembered in a universally positive light mm. um catherine de medici if you ask random people they're like oh she's that queen that poisoned everybody people thought she was a witch that she dabbled in the dark arts that she gonna go with probably not actually a witch Probably not actually a witch, although it is true that she was friends with Cosmo Ruggieri and uh, Nostradamus and believed in astrology and all that stuff. She also loved architecture. She uh, was responsible for building a lot of the famous buildings in Paris at the time, including the the Tuileries and something else that I'm forgetting. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. 
she was very influential. She was really smart and capable and she gets a bad rap because a lot of times that's what happens to women in history who wield power. They're either remembered in one of two they're remembered in one of two ways generally. It's either the way that is acceptable to men, think Gloriana with the heart of a man <laughs> staring down the Spanish Armada, or ways that men find threatening. Mm-hmm. which is they're witches or unnatural freaks or they use their power darkly for their own gains. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no there's no middle ground there and there's no nuance. And I think, do I think Catherine de' Medici, the real woman, probably did some shady stuff? Heck mm-hmm. yeah, I do. <laughs> um, it's the only way to it's the only way to maintain power. Do I think she was literally in communion with the devil? Probably not. <laughs> well, you know, um, so. I, I think that that's one of the things that really struck me about this because I didn't know very much about it going in is that first episode uh, when we meet Samantha Morton, uh, Samantha Morton's older Catherine de' Medici, um, and she starts telling the story of how she became like how she came to France. You know, the, the date in the corner says 1506. And I was like, wait, really? 15, like like mm-hmm. Elizabeth the second 15 or Elizabeth the first 1506. And yeah, like that. That was the moment where I was like, I don't actually know anything about this. And I'm about to learn a whole lot. Um, It's interesting I'm going to try to not spoil people because I had to review this. So I've seen a bit past the first episode. I think it's interesting that the show chooses to kind of have older Catherine frame the story of younger Catherine. I love an unreliable narrator Mm. and I'm not sure how much we're supposed to trust the story that she's telling Mm. or the reasons that she has for telling it because she basically is telling the story of her own life to a servant girl who pretty much drew the short straw of having to bring her breakfast. One of the things this show does that's really fun is sort of show us a Catherine, an adult Catherine that's really aware of like her image mm. and what people think of her. And she like leans aggressively hard into it. She's wearing these like amazing black gowns and slinking around the castle and just looking generally like witchy and threatening. <laughs> but it's hard to tell whether or not she's telling the servant girl's name is Rahima, whether she's telling Rahima the story because she just wants somebody to listen to her for once or because she has a larger goal here. She seems to enjoy kind of shocking and corrupting this girl a little bit who whose initial responses are like, I will pray for their souls. But Kevin's like, whatever, don't pray for their souls, poison them. <laughs> um, I, I thought that it was very... I. I um I have to say I wasn't expecting the framing um in mm-hmm. that first episode. It is it is a bit funny that so much of the show's promotional material is set around Samantha Morton and she's in the first few episodes very little. I will tell you a slight spoiler alert, she does take over as Catherine in episode three. Okay. Um the very disturbing birth scene, so like be prepared for that. But it it is the first two episodes do have this framing of older Catherine and and I do think the actress whose name is Liv Hill playing younger yes. Catherine is is wonderful, but it is it is a bit strange. Yeah, I actually wanted to talk about that. Um, I was I was not actually expecting that. Um, the uh uh the the girl who plays young Catherine um she was in the great uh as Angeline, and um. Though the thing I actually recognized her from was uh the the PBS Elizabeth is missing she plays young Maud, um and that's the thing I actually recognized her from and then I looked her up like where else have I seen her, um I was really impressed by her I I 
especially because I was coming in sort of expecting Samantha Martin and instead I got this other girl and she really holds it together like she's really really good um I I have to say Samantha Martin is you know like top tier Samantha Martin is always top tier but I was I, I have to admit I was a little bit like okay so this is just one long flashback I don't know if I'm so into and then Charles Dance rode in in papal red on a horse and I said ah I'm here. Hi. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, Charles Dance is only in like the first two episodes. Yeah. Because Pope, but... Clement, Pope Clement's got other stuff to do around <laughs> Europe. But um, it, that is that is true. A lot of the things that seem really outlandish history in this show are true. She was related to Pope Clement because, as we all know, back in the day, popes did not necessarily... Uh, respect some of the papal vows that they were supposed to respect looking at you rodrigo borgia um so a lot of them did have you know family members and things like that i think she was his granddaughter or his niece i'm not 100 percent clear on that right at the second but um like any woman with a famous last name she was a pawn in the marriage market so by sending her to france it's it's another move on the chessboard of trying to balance power around Europe. The king in France at the time was Francois the first, um, who I believe is the same king that met Henry the eighth on the field of the cloth of gold. Um, and the French had very, uh, uncharitable opinions of Italians. Let's put it that way. Yes, that that part is very obvious. Um can I just also give a shout out to Colmini as the uh, as the king? Um I was like, "Oh my god, is that Miles O'Brien? Miles O'Brien from Star Trek is is the king of is the king of France." Uh yeah. Um <laughs> Yes, and a PBS alum, uh Naomi Batrick is yes. his mistress. I I did love that. RIP Jamestown. Uh I have to say like there's so many things about this that I really and truly loved the the fact i okay so as 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 obviously like she's an unreliable narrator so we don't know if she really took control of like her outfit or if she promised all these things suddenly to basically make sure that the marriage happened like that part i'm not so sure i believe but good god those outfits and good god those (laughs) necklaces Yeah. Like I was like, these are the rich people who wear their wealth. Um, which is funny because the show goes out of its way to underline how broke they are. Yes, but they are literally like showing off like every single like dime they have by putting it around their neck in a way that we just don't in in the twenty first century. Um, I also I love the fact that they 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 do that that they do the horrible white makeup to her face so that she looks and, and that they basically emphasize how terrible it looks. Um, I also just i mean the shoes oh the shoes were another thing where i almost i just cackled when she stepped out of the egg um with those shoes because you know like they are so ludicrous and it's a reminder of how fashion is really really ludicrous when you take it out of context um but i really i really liked how how complex the the story really was like here's this woman who is telling her all these things and you know make sure you get pregnant and make sure that he performs and take control and she's telling her that because she sleeps with the guy and she knows what he likes 
Um, the woman that Annie is referring to is Diane de Poitier. Thank you, because I wasn't... Okay, unlike unlike most shows, I could not keep track of who was who. I was like, there's the blonde that's older and sleeping with the prince, and then there's the blonde that's younger and sleeping with the king. <laughs> like, I was not... This this must be what it's like to be you. <laughs> uh, the blonde that's younger... The blonde that's younger and sleeping with the king is Naomi Bashwick, who plays his mistress. Her name was Anne... DM Dean Tompras. I'm Duolingo would be so mad at me for like killing these people's names, but she was <laughs> the king's longtime mistress. Okay. And the other blonde lady with sort of the frizzier hair is uh Diane de Portier, who is a courtier at the court of France. She's a good 20, 25 years older than Henry. Um, and he was that this is this is true. He was very much in love with her. They were an established uh, she was his mistress for his entire life. They were very established. Everybody knew about it. It was an open secret, except for poor Catherine, who comes into this uh, knowing that she has to produce Nair. And the show portrays it a little bit as like her as her falling in love with him. I'm not sure whether or not that's historically true, because quite frankly, Henry II sounds like a dish rag. <laughs> but... Um, but that that is true. That did happen eventually... Uh, it, historically, this is, you probably can guess this will happen in the show because it did happen historically. Diane was very involved in their marriage. She encouraged Henry to have sex with his queen so that they could, they could, they could have heirs. Um, right. It's, because all they, they, they... it's all very awkward and weird. Oh, and probably I should note that at this point in the story, Henry is the second son and is not supposed to be king, which is part of the reason why this marriage to Catherine was acceptable because she never would have been had he been the dauphin which is the french word for like prince of wales um she never would have been able to marry him but his son his his son his brother it's funny because his son and his brother and his son have the same as his brother francis i think his is his name Mm -hmm. and his son will also be named francis the french much like henry's throughout tudor england have a lot of names that sound similar but his um older brother will die under mysterious circumstances and he will suddenly become the Dauphin and Catherine will become I forget what the French word is for like Princess of Wales but she will assume that role in the future. Um, I have a question um, because I don't know the history here. Um, does she, is she, has she already established the line of succession when he becomes Dauphin or is she not pregnant yet? Does, does she fail to get pregnant before that? Cause I'm really curious because if she, if she already has a son, then she can, then they can't get out of it. But if she's not actually, if she hasn't actually produced an error, like I, I, I wonder how we do this. I don't know the answer historically speaking mm. off the top of my head. Uh, I can spoil you a little in the world of the show that she is not. Mm. Okay. Um, because that that definitely will 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 you know shake things up. But I am pretty I am pretty sure that historically there was some sort of you know scrapping about this because they they lean on this a lot less in the show than I expected. But uh, eventually, Catherine was promised. Uh, with a huge dowry that was essentially never paid, especially oh. after her uncle, the Pope, after, especially after her uncle, the Pope dies. Um, so she basically has no dowry. She's had no children. Her husband has this mistress that he's had for forever and will have for the next, you know, several decades. It's a mess. Yeah. That, that sounds like a mess. And um. this is, this is why people assume she turned to witchcraft because she went through 
a long period of not being able to get pregnant and not producing an heir and then suddenly gets pregnant and has 10 children. So Wow. Okay. Witchcraft. No, actually, now that you put it that way, that is really fascinating because I had not put that together that you'd said that. I, I mean, I, how long is it until he becomes a Dauphin? Like two, three episodes or more? Oh, not very long. Oh, okay, it, cool. it might be in this. It might be in the second episode. Okay, I was just curious. Um, because I don't again. The show very entertainingly presents his brother as like a huge d bag. <laughs> like JC's really like crazy, mean, and horrible. So nobody's going to be sad when he kicks it. Okay. But he, the mysterious circumstances he's going to die under on the show are legit. That really happened. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out about the show is that it definitely does that fourth wall thing um, that has become kind of a staple of this sort of modernist period piece that we've been getting from like the great and, um, uh, you know, uh, I of course I'm blanking on others, but we you know what I, I mean, mean persuasion. Yes. They did it in persuasion, right? And they did it badly in persuasion. But here, like I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like how you feel about that, how effective you feel that is. I really like the fact that she doesn't actually talk to the camera all that much. Instead, she just glances at it. Like, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, I do like some of I do like some of older Catherine's like uh, sort of you know, a lady's guide to claiming your own power <laughs> sayings that she sort of spits out at various points. Um, I just like it less than I thought I would. I thought it was going to bother me because uh, on some level, I find it a little lazy. Like if I can't tell your character's motivations without you literally having to have the character tell me, um, I, I kind of side eye that. In this case, I actually think it kind of works if only because the show really leans into the idea that this is Catherine herself finally getting the chance to speak in regards to her own life, which historically she does not, you know, I mean, she's remembered for a lot of things, but most of them are not for anything she actually said. So I like the little, I like a little, I like the kind of literally giving her voice back kind of thing. And they don't do it that often, which probably helps. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's not like she turns to the camera and talks like every two minutes. A lot of it is like sidelong glances towards the camera. Like, are you are you hearing this? Are you serious? Like, and I don't I don't mind that as much. I think if there was more talking to the camera rather than just glances or faces, I would be much more annoyed by it. Um, I also I, I need to know more about um, the Rahima, the girl who who basically gets arrested at the end of episode one. Like, what is that? Like, I was so utterly confused. Did, is did they arrest her because she stole the orange? I don't get it. Um, I don't really. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't think Rahima was a real person. Well, no, I so know I don't that. have like a lot of historical context to add here. I think it's um. One of the things I think the show does really interestingly with this sort of relationship between Catherine and Rahima is play with like the power dynamics at work because Catherine's the queen. She can do whatever she wants. And if she wants to, you know, frame her servant for theft or simply lie and say her servant sold them, she can. There's like no one to gainsay her. Mm. But I think... um, I think their relationship is real. I I don't know. I haven't quite figured out what I think Catherine wants from Rahima yet. I don't know that Catherine has because 
she seems to, like I said, really want an audience and want a sympathetic sort of performative space to talk about herself pretty much. But I also think that she likes kind of corrupting her or encouraging her to break out of kind of the religious or patriarchal or however you want to define it kind of systems that she has has decided that that's what she will do with her life and i don't know i don't know where this is i don't actually really know where their relationship is going it gets more complicated later on i don't know there's just a lot of motivational questions that i have Okay, that's that's that fair. I can't answer yet. Um, because I just I that was probably for me one of the more confusing things about the, the about the show. Um, I mean, honestly, like once I realized, that, okay, this is a framing device. So I was like, okay, framing device, I can live with that. But then it ends with this with this arrest, and I was like, I don't get what ju- what just happened here. Are we going to get a different framing device next week? Are we going to drag the girl no, back to jail next week? Okay. All right. Um, at least that sort of like helps me a little bit. Um, in general, I just really love um, Samantha Morton's performance here too. Me too. I've always loved her. I've loved her for so long. If anybody has has ever said the word harlots around me, mm-hmm. like you will have heard me gush about that show and about Samantha Morton in particularly. I had to interview her at Comic-Con for something related to The Walking Dead. And afterwards, I was just like, I'm sorry, but I just have to tell you that I love Harlots. And it was amazing. And she was like, oh, my gosh. And she seemed really kind of shocked that someone in America had watched it. But it's such a good show. Watch Harlots is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, she's incredible. It, it It's true. I I think that's also part of part of why the framing ended up working for me, because I was really worried, especially when it started and before Charles Dance walked, you know, rode in on a horse that I was not going to like this framing thing but because samantha morton's like narration works so well um that really does make it so it's not so obtrusive if that makes sense like one of the things about when you have sort of a voiceover like telling you a story it can feel sort of like we don't trust you to follow the story and i don't Mm -hmm. feel like that happens here at all and i think that's a really good thing I agree because like I've like I said before, I'm not entirely sure what the motives are behind telling this story. I think the act of telling the story is part of the larger story that we're watching. What I think is really interesting is the show is set um I forget the exact year, but it is set right before Catherine's second son, Charles, who will become Charles the Ninth of France, is crowned. Fifteen oh six. It literally says it in the corner. <laughs> I watched this like two weeks ago. Girl. I know. I watched it today. That's why I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> but the, but it's very specifically set at a very specific moment in history. This is not Catherine like reflecting on her life. This is not Catherine trying to memorialize her life. This is a Catherine that is telling the story that is very in the middle of living her life. This is actually the sort of step, the point at which she will actually begin to wield the most power because she will become regent of France because Charles is like eight years old. Um, so there's like a lot of room to run for the show outside of the flashback portions, because eventually the flashback portions are going to catch up to the present day. Um, does that mean we're going to get is because this is billed as limited series? I don't know. I hope it's more. I was just I, I feel like all of these uh, the Spanish Princess was a limited season limited series, and that that's got a true. Season, so fingers crossed because I would watch this. There's just so much more ground based on where we are when she is telling the story 
versus the, I mean the end of versus the end of her life. Like she will be regent for her son Charles for some some significant amount of years, like at least a decade, I think. And then her third son, who I want to say is named Henry, will become king and she will be involved in court politics for most of his life. There will be a whole there's a whole bunch of stuff that the show doesn't necessarily do as good of a job explaining about conflicts between French Protestants and French Catholics and Huguenots and a bunch of the like there, there's going to be like a massacre later on with some Protestants. But um, where was I going with this? I was going with the fact that there's just like there's so much left of her story that once the flashback of how she came to power concludes. Like, I, I mean, I don't think that I don't think they've introduced Mary Queen of Scots for no reason is what mm. I'm saying. Um, I find that interesting because, OK, first of all, we know that Stars does the thing where it calls everything a limited series until it gets a season two. Like that is just how Stars basically functions, um, which is fine. Um, it's it, you know, uh, honestly, uh, basically all of Ryan Murphy's shows function that way. And even when they get second season, sometimes they still call themselves limited series. Um, it's it's partly an Emmys thing because it means that you're not in the regular drama category, but like off to the side. So you have a better chance of getting nominations. Um so I'm not so surprised that this could get a second season. Um, I just, you know, every time somebody tells me it's a limited series, I assume it's going to be, I assume I'm getting a beginning and a middle and end until someone tells me otherwise. Um, I did think that um, one of the things I thought, even though I've only seen the first, unlike you, I've only seen the first episode, um, the, the whole Protestant Catholic thing um, really is part of the story and they basically make sure that you understand that that's that part of why she gets the throne if you believe what she's telling you is that she plays to the catholics well she is catholic i mean she's the granddaughter of the pope so well yes yeah, pretty but, catholic but she uh. also like she, those are th that's also immediately Her like grandniece of the pope she's the i know she's the great granddaughter of lorenzo the magnificent but i'm not sure how pope clement fits in there okay um what i i think what i mean more is that like there's a very calculated team Catholic here. Um, I'm on the Catholic side and I'm playing to team Catholics because team Catholics are going to win right now. And I find that really interesting. I find that first of all, interesting just from a religious perspective because I'm like, Oh, okay. Team Catholic. I get that. Um, but also because I don't, uh, in the same way that I don't know a lot about the, the reformation outside uh, the, 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 the royalty outside of the UK. I don't, a lot about the reformation outside the uk either um i i know that protestantism like came around like a little earlier than henry it wasn't based on divorce it was based on some dude who like uh nailed some stuff to a door uh, his name is martin luther <laughs> yeah you can tell how <laughs> much of the 99 those are the 99 thesis just saying um so like i i know that 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 there's a that it, that it happened completely differently outside the uk is my point um but i don't yeah, that know is true. i don't know a lot about it and i know that there's all these other flavors of protestantism like lutherism exists because of martin luther which is not the same as episcopalians which is not the same as baptists which is not the same as methodist blah 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 um i don't i, I what kind of protestants are these <laughs> Um, this show is not actually great about depicting this sort of religious clash. And part of the reason for that is that it's not really great about... Um, there are a lot of other characters on the show besides Catherine and the people in her immediate orbit. But you will really struggle, I think, to figure out who they are, remember their names. There's Guises and Bourbons. 
and various members of those families who were very influential French families. Uh, uh, Mary of Guise was Mary Queen of Scots's uh, grandmother or adopted aunt. Like they were related, but and the Huguenots yeah, the- are actually Protestants too, right? Like it's another. Yes. Is it another word for Protestant or are they like a sect? <laughs> Um, I don't think they're a sect in a religious sense. I think it's more of sort of a, a grouping okay. of of who they were and where they lived and that kind of thing. I'm not I'm not I am not super 100 up to speed on this. And I do wish the story did a little bit better job of telling you why this is important, because it does kind of hint that a lot of the animosity between the Guises and the Bourbons is um not just religious based, but sort of family based jockeying for power, which kind of plays out as a religious clashing. So that I don't know, the show's not very good at this part of the story. Okay. I don't know that I think it's going to get a whole lot better because it's a really complicated. It's, it's really complicated. Yeah. Um. These are problems that will persist throughout Catherine's life and throughout her time ruling France, and uh, she will make some poor choices. <laughs> Uh, in regards to various matters of religion, and it—I don't know—it's Wikipedia is your friend. It's going to do a better job explaining than I will right now. No, that's fair, and actually, that's actually quite helpful to know that this is kind of you know because there are definitely period pieces where you watch and you get everything, and you don't need like a second screen. But if this is one of those where like having Wikipedia in your hand on your phone per per episode is your friend, that's a good thing to know. Um, it's one of those things where, like, if that's something that you super care about, it's helpful. Like, oh, the show is—you know me—I super care about that kind of. Crap. The show is most interested in like Catherine's specific journey, which often has a more immediate slash selfish tint. This Catherine is not presented as being particularly religious, mm. um, or particularly a person of faith. So take that for what you will. Well, no, that makes sense because, you know, that that also sort of explains the, hey, Team Catholics sort of attitude in the first episode. Um, But you know me, I love like I love period pieces that teach me history. And if this will help me sort of learn about like the the French and Italian politics of it all, um, that's actually like that's totally my lane. Um, Hey, something that's actually both for, you know, rated for Lacey and rated for Annie. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm glad we're going to come back to this too. Um, this is one that we sort of we we were planning on doing, you know, uh, since it's so long. Unlike you know most of the shows that are coming this season, the coming this fall are like six episodes. Um, this one's actually ten, so I think we are actually planning. I think it's eight actually, oh, but okay. still. Um, but we're sort of we're we're planning on coming back to this, and I'm glad we are because I actually am hoping to to that that you know modern prove that modernist period pieces can actually teach you stuff. And they're not just all like snark. No, I think that's one hundred percent true. I think that I mean, look at something like The Great, which is really historically inaccurate in a lot of places, but I think gets a lot of the spirit of the story it's telling correct. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. I This is one of those things where I know just enough of the history to be dangerous, but not enough to get really angry about the things that it leaves out. Yeah. Um, does Mary Queen of Scots pop up in this episode? No, I don't think so. Or if she did, I totally missed it. Uh, you would not miss it. She okay. is, um, like I said, she's Catherine de Medici's daughter-in-law and was married... She was married to Catherine's eldest son who who died. If any of you watched the CW drama Rain, you have seen that story. Um. Wait. So. So, that makes that that makes James her grandson, or yeah, or 
uh, James James six, who is James one. Um, uh, I mean, they're related in the way that all of like Europe at that time okay, was related. Right. I can't I can't draw the map for you because I'm like, uh, I don't know. But okay. but but <laughs> technically, I mean, but technically, like Mary and Francis did not have any children. Oh, so, right. OK. Yes. OK. Um, they are not they are connected, but not related by blood. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, when uh, you'll know it when you see Mary, because she basically enters the palace surround she's wearing all white and surrounded by a group of girls who look just like her all wearing all white and their names are also all mary that was a real thing (laughs) um all of her ladies in waiting were named mary and and they sort of traveled as a pack and they're all wearing white because technically in france white was the color of mourning um and this is set just after her husband would have died and there's there's some power struggles coming between the two of them, which are sort of not entirely historically accurate, but it's fun. So I don't care. <laughs> I will say that this show just from the first episode shows that it is definitely fun um, and that it and that it's not afraid to sort of laugh at itself. Like, as I said, the moment where she arrives in the egg like Lady Gaga and steps out in shoes <laughs> that honestly Lady Gaga would probably wear. Like it was just it, I was like, yeah, OK, I'm here. <laughs> Um, I think it's an interesting sort of thought experiment to compare this to Stars' previous period drama, which was Becoming Elizabeth, which was great, but much more um, serious, I mm. think, and much more deliberate and a lot less fun. Yes. I, lo- I love Becoming Elizabeth, but the- these shows could not be more different, tonally speaking. I feel like Becoming Elizabeth was trying to sort of follow in the footsteps of the Philippa Gregory series. Um, like it was trying to be spiritually the 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 heir to those, and this is just like whatever. Uh, no, no, we're doing our own thing over here. I mean, for heaven's sakes, the the title of episode one is Medici bitch. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I did, yeah. I, that that to me like says everything about how this show is not trying to do the the Philippa Gregory thing at all, and I actually I respect that. Um. Um, technically, for the for anybody that wants to order this, because I haven't actually read this book and I'm going to get it and read it and see. I've read a lot of books about Catherine de Medici, but not this one. This is based on a 2005 book called Catherine de Medici, Renaissance Queen of France, which is, uh, was, was I believe, very, very thoroughly researched and includes a lot of, you know, real historical reference points from her letters and that kind of thing. So... It has a legit source. Okay. Cool. Um. Yeah. So that I guess that's the the Serpent Queen for now. Um. Yeah. All hail Samantha Morton is basically <laughs> my review. She's honestly she's amazing, and I know some people are probably gonna be like, "Ah, oh, she's barely in the show." But let me remind everyone she takes over in episode three. Okay. Cool. Um. And some of the best stuff coming up is her facing off with the actress who plays Diane. They are great together. Um, is that our show? I think so. Are we done? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Serpent Queen. Woo. I think I think we have to go back and 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 find out what Charles what Charles the Third has said today. <laughs> Can I just tell you every time I say Charles the Third, I think of King Charles Three that the 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 play, yeah, the play that, that aired on PBS. Yeah. We should we should do a classics revisit on that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I'm putting that on the list. I was kidding, but sure. <laughs> um. Anyway. Uh. Yeah. 
rest in peace, Queen Elizabeth II. God save King Charles III. Annie, tell the people where you live on the internet. Uh, you can find me at Annie Bundle on Twitter. You can find me at Miss Annie Bundle on Facebook. You can find pictures of my very fuzzy cats and the very fuzzy bellies at Annie Bundle on Instagram. Uh, I'm a staff writer at Elite Daily, and I am the associate editor here at Televisions, and I also freelance around the web. So if you want to know what I wrote this week, just basically go to my Twitter because I retweet all of my bylines. Thanks. Huzzah. Uh, I am Lacey MB on Twitter. That is L-A-C-Y-M-B. And like Annie, I write a lot here at Televisions and around the entertainment web. You can read my Serpent Queen review over at Paste Magazine, which is where I got assigned it this time. I do believe Janet Mullaney will be recapping this for us. So that is something to look forward to. Yes. Uh, um, if she's anything like she was on Cobra, I'm going to enjoy editing those every <laughs> week. <laughs> uh, if you just want the site and the pod, they are on social media at telly underscore visions on Twitter and television's blog, all one word on Facebook. We are a product of WETA. And if you like what we do, you can visit us at televisions.org for more news, recaps, the schedule for funeral activities over the next few weeks once we find out what that is, and all manner of other exciting content. If you are so inclined, you can click on that donate button up top to help us keep making all this great content for your eyes and ears. And uh, if you do that in the next few weeks, you will probably be just in time for all the great PBS Passport content that is coming your way over the next few months, which includes early binges, uh, special stuff that's not even on air. There's just, I can't even keep up with all the stuff that's on Passport right now. So just go check it out for yourself. Um, and that is, I don't know. I feel like I've just been kind of lost for the past 36 hours, <laughs> more so than usual before anybody says anything. Um, it's a new world, guys, literally. What a strange, what a strange time to be alive. I'm really tired of living through historical events and would like to be in boring times again. And I doubt I am the only person who feels that way. But uh, fingers crossed. As always, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. Do something nice for someone else if you can, because it's pretty crappy out there, generally speaking. And we are all we got. But thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week.